This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hi, this is Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, our guest is Steve Gamlin, who is in his 18th year as the Motivational Firewood Guy, and he has a podcast called The Motivational Firewood Radio Show. Steve shares his back-to-basics blend of positivity and humor with corporate and conference audiences around the country. Drawing from a decade in the radio industry, seven years of stand-up comedy, and a 30-plus year personal development journey, Steve teaches his clients to see their desired outcomes, understand their why, and build action plans to achieve them, utilizing his vision board mastery program, as well as live and virtual events. And I'm Mary Elkins. After blowing up his life, his radio career, first marriage, financial stability, that's blowing a lot up. At Mm -hmm. age 35, Steve rose from the ashes, although he swears his phoenix rides a pogo stick, to become a motivational speaker, stand-up comedian, author, and more. Inspired by two simple questions from a coach after Steve spent a year hitting, excuse me, spent an afternoon, maybe the afternoon felt like a year, Mm -hmm. because there was a thunderstorm there, and he was daring lightning to hit him, but it didn't, by the way. So let's get some tips. Welcome, Steve. Thank you very much, (laughs) both of you. Very, very honored to be here. Nice to have you. We always ask our guests how they got started on their current career path. So what happened between that lightning storm and now? Well, it was kind of on the heels of the part of my life where I'd blown up my a successful 10-year radio career. My first marriage fell apart and any shred of financial stability at age 35 was gone. I was tens of thousands of dollars in debt without a full-time job. Uh And on a Friday afternoon in August of 2003, I took the last $3 in my pocket for that week. And I invested in a bucket of golf balls to just take out some frustrations at a local driving range. And being the type of golfer that I still am today, which is horrible. (laughs) I went to the farthest tee box on the property. So I would not dent anyone's car anywhere near the parking lot. (laughs) And so there was a, a, a set of power lines, big steel towers right up over me. And I just sat there hitting, 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 getting frustrations out. And a thunderstorm came ripping through because it was a very hot and humid day. Everybody but me ran from the storm. And I just stayed out there. Kind of like if you remember the movie Forrest Gump Uh in the hurricane scene and Lieutenant Dan was in the crow's nest of the boat just screaming, come on, is that all you got? Blow, come on. (laughs) I was just in the storm just saying, well, we're going to ride this out. And at one point I did hold up the club and wave it around and said, go ahead. I dare you. Uh-huh. And mercifully, nothing happened. Uh-huh. But I hit my bucket and the buckets of two gentlemen who would run from the storm and not come back. So at the end of an hour, I couldn't even lift my arms. 
And when I got out to my car and opened the door, the rain stopped and the sun came out and I just started laughing. I just thought it was very well played by whoever was in charge of the weather that day. Uh And a day later, I was on the phone with my then brand new life coach. And he said, how was your week? And I said, put down your pen and paper and listen to this. And I crafted about a five minute version, as funny as I could make it sound about that afternoon. And then when he stopped laughing, he said, I have two questions for you. Are you this open and honest about your life with everyone? I said, yeah, usually in a really self-deprecating way, but yeah. And his second question was, have you ever thought of being a motivational speaker or stand-up comedian? I think you'd be great at both. Good life coach, huh? Yeah. I'd wanted to do both as well as be on the radio and write books since I was 11 years old. Oh, Uh did you write one when you were 11? No. Well, I started to write a couple of them, but they were just silly little kid things that I wish I still had because I would love to see what I created. Uh Yeah. But two weeks later, I was in an intro to stand-up comedy class. And a week or two after that, my first Toastmasters meeting. So I did stand-up for seven years, been speaking for 18 so far because someone believed in me when I didn't saw something that I just couldn't see because I was looking past, you know, I couldn't see past all the bad stuff that I had caused mm-hmm. in my own life. I was only a victim of myself and my frustrations and my mm-hmm. rash decisions without really putting a lot of thinking into what it was all going to do to my life. And, uh, oh, I blew it all up and it was ugly. Mm. Well, I have to ask this, changing the topic slightly. Where did the phrase motivational firewood come from? What is that? It actually came from the very first meeting I went to for the National Speakers Association up here in New England. They had a chapter. And again, I believe it was my life coach who said, have you ever heard of NSA, National Speakers? Might be a good place to make some connections. So I went to a meeting and I, of course, had to wear the what I call the blue badge of shame, the visitor badge, where somebody just takes a Sharpie and tries to spell your name right and yes. slaps it on. And everybody knows you just wandered in off the street. And uh-huh. with this one gentleman named Don came over and he held his hand out. He said, hey, uh, Steve, hey, nice to meet you. Are you a speaker? I said, well, I'm new to it, but yes. He said, what sets you apart? I said, I like to motivate people. He goes, okay, we all do that. What makes you different? And I threw out a couple of very weak answers and God love him. He, his patience about three minutes in, I finally threw up my hands and I said, Don, look at it this way. If people come to hear me speak, then they've got something going on in their life that they're here, but they want to be here. They got a spark of an idea in their heart, but they don't know what to do with it. So if I share a story or a lesson or a tip or a tactic or a strategy or a case study or something that inspires them to take an action the next day and make something better. I said, it's kind of like I gave him a piece of motivational firewood (laughs) and he snapped his fingers and he goes, okay, right there. That's cool. That's unique. That's different. He said, but what I love the most is the way you just lit up when you said it. Uh Do you know anything about trademarks? I said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I know we noticed you trademarked that. Yes. We were talking about that. For a number of years, yes, I own the, the trademark registered for motivational firewood. Mm-hmm. That's fun. It's so fun. Um, tell us why it's so important to see our goals. There's a really bad problem going on out there in my industry. And there are so many gurus who 
you see their videos and they're going, Hey, I'm here to tell you all about success. And they're leaning on a Lamborghini and there's a, a yacht in the background and a mansion <laughs> and a private jet and all that. And they go, let me tell you all about success. And this is what it is. What most people don't realize a lot of those things for those videos are actually rented. These guys don't own them, but what they're doing is they're pitching this, the whole material thing is the idea of what success really is all about. And my mission, I've been fighting that garbage for 18 years so far, uh-huh. is for people to figure out what is most important to them. Strip away all the things we've been told and the definitions that get shoved down our throat. If you want to be happy, hey, happiness is a great goal to have. What would it look like if your life was happy? If you want to have a dream job, great. What field would it be in? Is there a particular company you'd like to work in? Your physical health goals. See, I work with eight major areas of life with my clients before we even get to material things. It's your physical health, your emotional well-being, your relationships, your ethics and core values that guide you, your faith and spirituality, if you have, if that's a big part of your life, your connection to the world in a real way, your career and your finances. And Mm. what I ask people is what does each one of these look like for you and dig deep and put pen to paper, go past the things that pop into your head. Like, Oh, I want a Lamborghini. Well, do you really want a Lamborghini or do you want the status of what people have told you a Lamborghini means? I have a dream car on my vision board. It's a Uh 2023 Honda CRV to replace the 2010 I have that has about a quarter million miles on it (laughs) because it's the greatest vehicle I've ever owned. It never breaks down and I want another one just like it. And the guy next door has a Lamborghini next door Uh, to me and i can tell you that everyone in the neighborhood hates this guy (laughs) lamborghini has patented the sound it's it's deafening it's horrible i don't mind it because it's an i i would rather have that than a barking dog next door but it's which you also have i don't have a barking dog (laughs) oh you did never barks anyway no there was never (laughs) no i mean next door not your dog I never had a barking dog next door. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> I had, I just have a Lamborghini next door. I'm really yeah. not displeased about that, but people don't think through what that means. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. So, so many people just see point. the glitz and the glamour of all these things and that's what they yeah. say they want. And and it's the same thing. And, and this is where, when it comes to relationships, right? I blame partially blame people, but shows like the bachelor and the bachelorette and how not materialistic, but how, you know, looks and everything. Uh It's not the person behind it. It's this whole swipe, right, swipe left mentality. Oh, this one's hot. This one's not. And and people go through like that Uh and it's so fake and it's so plastic. And I'm, I'm in my early fifties I'm 54 years old. And I see so many people now who went for that earlier in their lives and still have that mindset who are on their second, third, fourth marriage. Mm. They're miserable or they've stuck in their marriage because they're too lazy to get divorced. They hate each other. And me and my wife, Tina, have been together 15 years, absolutely head over heels in love because technically I built our relationship on my vision boards between 2005 and 2007. So you're talking about being very detailed in all of your visions. Yes. So, So what did you put on your vision board about your relationship before you met your wife? Uh, the first things I did after my divorce in 2003-ish was to start taking notes on the type of person I wanted to be to attract my perfect partner. I was always somebody, if there was stress or conflict, I did not get into it. I just shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. 
And I said, I need to be a more open and honest person. So I really worked on that. Did a lot of reading, a lot of note-taking, a lot of contemplation to make myself the best version of me. And I started to design the relationship. I had pictures like uh, a man and a woman walking hand in hand on a beach, holding hands. At the railing of a ship at sunset, holding hands. A gentleman piggybacking his girlfriend or partner across a brook so she wouldn't get all wet. And they're laughing their brains out. A couple cooking dinner together in a kitchen. I put all these things on my board because I am a hopeless, helpless romantic. And I absolutely love everything about that type of relationship. Uh And in January of 2007, when I built that year's board, I said, this is the year I'm going to find her, whoever she may be. Uh-huh. In the first week of June, I wrote down on my journal, I am ready to fall in love. Oh. And 10 days later, <gasps> from a thousand miles away, from a woman I had not seen or spoken to in 21 years since the day we graduated high school, got an email from someone named Tina, which I almost deleted as spam, but something shiny happened and I just looked away. And the next day I opened it and realized. It was a woman I'd gone to high school with. I hadn't seen her spoken to in 21 years on whom I had a crush in high school, but never asked her out. Oh, that is romantic. I said, I'm ready to fall in love. She showed up after 21 years in an email, would not send me a picture of herself and had no social media footprint. And over the course of the following four weeks, text, email, and phone calls only, I started to really like her again. And four weeks later, she sent me a text. Can I tell you something? If you promise not to freak out. And at the time I was DJing at a wedding. It was during dinner. And I said, sure. And she typed back, here's how I really felt about you in high school. Here's how I felt when I saw your name, when I Googled you, when I heard your voice. And right now, I love you. Oh. And I typed back, wow. And I love you too. And we've been together ever since. And the universe conspired to bring her back. She was living in Florida at the time, which is over a thousand miles away. Uh-huh. She got job opportunities that brought her back to New England. They paid for the move. And all of these things started to stack up to bring us back together closer, closer. And now we've been together almost 15 and a half years. Oh. Beautiful. You're going to have all our listeners in tears. I know I am. <laughs> I, I tell her all the time. You know, if you ever end our relationship, you are going to demolish my speaking career. I said, this is everybody's favorite story. She just rolls her eyes and looks and smiles. And she goes, well, then you better be very, very nice to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I it sounds, you know that. It sounds yeah. a little bit like this, the book, The Secret, where yes, I love what you put out, you get back. Yep. Can you talk about what you think about it? Mm-hmm. I actually, I love the secret. I, I think it it did a great job of explaining in very easy to understand terms what the law of attraction is really all about. Now, there's a scientific and physics and everything going on behind the scenes, but it painted a really good picture to say that the energy we put out there with the effort, the attitude that we use does have a great impact on the opportunities that present themselves back to us. It's not a flip the switch. Like if I do an act of kindness, I'm not going to win the lottery. It's not like that. But if you put the right actions out there, I know, right? You put (laughs) the right actions out there and attract the right other energy, it's going to increase the odds that similar things will happen to you. Now, the one thing I really did not like about the DVD version of The Secret, they had a genie in a magic lamp who just Mm. kept saying over and over, your wish is my command. 
Um, that part of it, I think they could have done without. I, I only read the book. I didn't see that. I got the DVD. And oh. that was the one thing that I really didn't agree with. But what got me into vision boards and visualization, which I've been doing now for 17 years, was a three-minute segment of the DVD of The Secret where a gentleman named John Asaraf was talking about vision boards. And I was so fascinated by that, that I studied and, and built them on my own and failed miserably and, and just learned it right and did each one a little better and learned more. And ultimately by my journals, I created a process to help other people to do it by my trials and errors and trials and successes. Yeah, but how would you know if you're failing at making a vision board? Right. When you look at it three weeks later and go, ugh, I don't want anything on this. Oh, if it's that <laughs> drastic. I when, oh, yeah. When Because the first couple of boards, I was broke at the time. And so what did I put on there? Bunch of stuff, you know, fancy things like, you know, fancy watch and and uh, the actually the one thing that I did put on my first one that has manifested twice that I've created my own recording studio, which I've wanted since I was a kid. And I'm now in my second one that I've built. Mm -hmm. Nice. But everything else was all bling and all these other things. And I just looked at it and I said, you know, emotionally, this does nothing for me. Mm -hmm. That was one of the biggest breakthroughs where when I work with people in company teams and, and entrepreneurs and families even, what would really trip your trigger here? What do you really, really want? Like, what would be the ultimate version in each one of those little categories I mentioned of the eight categories? And they'll say, well, I kind of want this. Great. Why? Yeah, I was just going to ask you that because I know it's one of the questions you like to talk about. Yeah. Uh, how critical is it to know why you want something in life? Very. It's uh, to me, it's the gas in the tank that's going to keep you going when you're on your way, however long it may be, from where you are now to where you want to go. Now, knowing your why, the stronger you're connected to it at an emotional heart and gut and mind level, will keep pebbles from becoming Jersey barriers. <laughs> to keep the slightest inconveniences, nothing will stop you. If you have a mm. deeply rooted, connected why it, it's kind of like when the Roomba technology first came out, those little room vacuums. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. When they first came out, they would just kind of wander aimlessly and eventually they'd cover the whole room. But the second they hit something that impeded their journey, they went, Oh, oh, oh and they backed up and went somewhere else. You mm -hmm. know, it's smarter technology. Now it would just go around something, but back then it just hit something and it just went somewhere else. And a lot of people are like that. I want this. And the minute there's anything that gets in their way that knocks them off the path, well, I guess it's not meant to be. Mm. Yeah. And people do that with relationships all the time. They, oh, they, yeah. The guy says one thing and the girl's out the door. And it's like, yeah. wait, I think you probably didn't examine that thoroughly, what it meant to you. Yeah. You know, we yeah. do all take offense at things sometimes and back up. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens in every part of our lives. You know, I'm going to get fit. I'm, I'm going to do this. And mm -hmm. January 1st, they go to the gym. What do they do? They try to bench press a Volkswagen. Then they can't yeah. walk for five days. <laughs> and then they say, well, I guess I wasn't meant to be healthy this year. There's always next year. We're That's so true. The new year and people, they fall off. Yeah. That's, it's hard to, to take baby the, steps, isn't it? I used to love the third week of January because I wouldn't have to wait in line for the elliptical anymore at the gym. <laughs> You know, yeah. all the, all the people who pay, prepaid for the entire year are now gone mm -hmm. and, and, they, and the they gym is doing why. well. 
oh, the gym's doing great. Hey, I didn't go for three years. And I, I walked in to cancel my membership and they said, you haven't been here in three years. And I looked around and I said, I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> All my money helped. And now I work out at home. And now my, my why for working out now is different than it was maybe 25, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost my dad about four years ago and his health mm-hmm. had been declining for a while. And I saw how much of a burden that became physically on my stepmom. You know, he had Parkinson's and he was starting to have some cognitive issues and mm. his balance was off. He kept falling down. And now oh. we live eight miles away. She wasn't able to pick him up anymore. Mm-hmm. And I oh, said, yeah. okay, I'm on a healthier journey for the last 17 months. I've been working out. I've lost 25 plus pounds, stopped drinking alcohol at all. I just had a tall drink every night to relax. That's gone down 25 pounds because I do not want to be a burden on Tina as we grow older. That's my why. And at 5.30 in the morning when that alarm goes off, I get five beeps to shut it off. No snooze. And then I count to five. My feet have to be on the floor by five. You are very super disciplined. I was about to say that. I never was before in my life when it came to fitness and health because I'm tall. So I could carry it. Yeah, you didn't have the why. I didn't have the why. Now I have the why. And I kiss Tina and I'm off. I'm working out for an hour to an hour and a half every morning. Uh-huh. Drinking a healthy smoothie, no no alcohol, no fast food, and just being very deliberate. And the funny part is, it's actually very easy right now. I, I rarely even drink soda anymore because the first time I drank a Coke without rum in it, I spit it out in front of a friend and laughed. And I said, oh my God, they changed the formula again. She said, why? <laughs> I said, it doesn't taste like coconut anymore. I kind of liked that. And she goes, that's because the other half was rum. <laughs> oh, so it's just a joke to me now. It's not, you know, people ask, is it okay to drink in front of you? Um, yeah. You know, Coke. what you do is your body, it's your mission, it's your whatever, just be safe. I know my why. Uh-huh. And every day I have decisions and choices to make, and it all comes back to the fact that I want to be here for Tina. I want to be healthy as long as I can be, and I want to take care of her if necessary. I do not want her having to pick me up off the floor because I made bad life choices. Well, what if people don't understand the why? How do they get to the why? It can take a lot of me, someone like me, or a coach, or a mentor, or a trusted friend, asking over and over until they're satisfied with the answer. Um, in, in the exercise for me to understand that shortly after I became a speaker, a dear friend of mine, I was very heavy into BNI business networking international here in New Hampshire. I was one of the area directors and the lead trainer for the state. And the executive director said, why are you a speaker? I said, cause I want to motivate people. I said, why? And I just flipped a sentence. I said, uh, cause people need to be motivated. <laughs> and he laughed. He goes, no, why, why, why? 17 whys later, I literally had tears coming down my face and I said, I know why. So when I was 24 years old, broken, depressed, living on my grandfather's couch, I had a friend named Danny who kept asking me, why didn't you ever follow your dream of being on the radio? You barely graduated college. You're miserable. Why didn't you ever go for that? Because that's something else I wanted to do since I was 11. Hmm. And I just ran out of excuses borrowed some money from my grandfather, went to broadcast school that summer, 1992, got an internship at a radio station we'd grown up listening to. And I drove to Danny's house. I hadn't seen him all summer. And I said, Hey man, he goes, where you been? I said, radio school. No. Did you get a job? Get an internship. 
no way. Oh, he was so happy and he was so proud. And three weeks later, he passed away. Uh-huh. He'd had cancer before and it just came back very quickly and he was gone. And so my friend years later, when I became a speaker, said, okay, so what's the why? I said, I had a friend who believed in me when I didn't. And he saw something in me that I didn't see at the time. And because of his belief in me, I trusted him and I went and did it. And it turned out to be a huge success. I said, as a speaker, Hmm. I want to be that person for my audience. I want to, my words and my heart and my soul and my passion and how much I care about everybody who's around me to reach into the shadows of the person who came in late, who won't make eye contact, won't say a word and will sneak out probably before I get off stage. I said, I need to reach that person who's hiding in the shadows because that used to be me. Oh, I love that. That's oh, my why. That's so Good. touching. Uh, let's. I, I'd love to talk more about vision boards. Sure. Um, and and can companies as well as individuals benefit from building them? And that's also, actually among my favorites. Well, I I want to hear more about that, but I'm also yeah. curious about what you said before mm-hmm. about changing it over and over to find out what you really wanted. And are there any aspects? that you can relay to our audience about how to build a vision board. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Uh, What I recommend is for people to keep in mind the, the life wheel that I mentioned earlier, physical health, emotional well-being, relationships, core values and ethics, spirituality, connection, um, jobs, money, et cetera. Start thinking of goals. One for each of those categories. And some people say, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't keep that much in my head. You're already dealing in all eight of those areas of your life 24-7. Yeah, might as well have a say in in Uh where you want them to go. So start there. Before you put the material things on, there's a place for those. But start with those areas of your life that are operating already 24-7. And think of where you are in each of those areas right now. If you're a numerical person on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you with each of those areas of your life? And then think one year from now, how would you like it to be different or better? One year. Don't give me the 20 year thing because you won't do it. Mm-hmm. One year from now, how would you like it to be incrementally better than it is now? And don't say, I want them all on 10 because you will burn yourself out <laughs> trying. Yeah. Just think of you where won't you be able to, to try that many. Oh my gosh. It, and, and people do, and it's innocent enough. I get it. We want to be better. Uh-huh. But then think of the actions that you would need to take on a consistent basis to get there. You, oh, great. You want to be 50 pounds lighter in the course of the year? Not a problem. What is that? 12, 10, like four, a little over four pounds a month you have to lose. We could all lose four pounds in a month. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you start to think, well, if I just walked every day, if I walked to the end of my street and back, that's a start. If I drank water instead of soda or, or you know, if I'm drinking a lot of alcohol right now, maybe I cut down on that or maybe I just make better food choices or whatever. You want to have a better relationship? Wonderful. Have one date night a month or even a week if you can with your partner, your spouse. If you're not in a relationship, think of who you want to be in a relationship with. Start to take actions, figure out who that person would be, where they hang out and start going there. You want to be closer to whatever, uh, if you believe in God or a higher power or the universe or whatever it is, how can you shift the actions and patterns of your life to reflect the teachings of whatever that may be? Uh-huh. To be a better person. It mm. goes for all of these parts of your life. When you start to think of them 
how they're actually working and leaning on each other. You want to make more money? Great. You have to work more. You want to work more. You got to get enough sleep at night. You got to eat the right foods every day to have more energy. The more you work, the more money you make, the more you can buy freedom of your time and spend time in your relationship. You can give back to your church. You can do whatever. And if you do it in such a way with good ethics and core values, that means you're going to stay in tune with who you really are and your results will be in line with the person you are and the identity you have for yourself. You're not cheating people to make a buck because that wasn't the thing you wanted most. So what we're creating is a full-on picture. And when it comes to the boards, whatever is most important to you, this is all my recommendation, by the way. There are other people, other schools of thought. Uh-huh. But whatever is most important in the center mm-hmm. and oh, build out good. from there. Me and I my like Tina, that. I always call her my Tina. Me and my Tina have been at the center of every board since we fell in love. Oh, I love that. Well, what about companies? Companies I love because what happens at the beginning of the new year at a lot of companies, and I'm not going to speak for them all. Here's our goals for the year. Go on out and achieve them. Hit those phones, hit the streets, you know, go on out there. And my question to team leaders and managers and and CEOs is, are the numbers everything? Or would you rather develop some really amazing people inside of your company and inside of your teams who can hit those numbers, but also increase the quality of their own lives, meaning they will probably want to stay here longer. Uh And they'll say, well, okay, what have you got? I said, well, I teach people how to create a vision board and an effective plan, understand their why, action plan personally, professionally, across the whole thing. And they go, oh, vision board, that's great. Come on in. It'll be like an arts and crafts project. No. (laughs) And and I just say this to people now when they call up, Steve, we've heard that you do these vision boards with companies. We think it would be a fun activity. I said, "Uh, no. So is this why you, you, I heard you created a t-shirt which reads, Friends don't let friends attend vision board parties. It's right over there on the wall here in my recording studio. So that yes. means oh. you got to do it on your own alone. Uh, or... Well, you do it with someone like me because a lot of times, especially this time of the year or early in January, you see these people, hey, $25, we're going to have a vision board party. We're going to have wine, cheese, crackers, scissors, glue sticks, glitter. First mm. off, wine and scissors are a really bad combo. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got the glue stick to put your eyebrows back on when you damage those with the scissors. But the problem is with that approach, or when people look at it as a fun activity, they don't go to the depth that I go to. There's not a lot of the prep work. People Uh show up, they laugh, they, you know, they have great conversation. They cut up magazines, put them on a board and that's it. Now in my vision board mastery program, the audio training program that I have, there are 10 modules. You don't gather pictures till module seven. Everything else is in-depth pre-work and assessments to figure uh-huh. out what you really want. And when I work inside of companies, that's a big part of it. It's it's not just what are these people achieving, it's who are they becoming to become the best versions of themselves that's going to benefit them personally as well as the company. Uh-huh. And there's one company down in Rhode Island, I just, just got the deposit yesterday. This January will be my 15th year in a row wow. with their team. Now they've got uh, several dozen people locally, but several hundred people across the country, and they all watch because we broadcast the event. And I have ongoing coaching with them as well, because what happened years ago, when I just had the program and had live events, in-person events, especially for corporate, three weeks later, people would call up, we love our boards. This is wonderful. Um, now what? Uh-huh. So what do you mean? 
well, uh, how, how do we stay with you to keep these guys motivated? They said, do you have a sort of a coaching program? And I said, what? Well, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. In, in my head, I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I created one and it's been doing well. And uh, we're actually just about to relaunch uh, a, a two-tiered version of it. Uh, group coaching, which is a couple of calls per month on Zoom, and then one-on-one that I work with, as well as customized programs within companies. But um, that's what really opened my eyes is people said, we love the boards. We're so inspired. Now what? So some of the companies really want year after year, a new in-depth look at it. Doesn't, doesn't, don't some of their boards come out the same? Not really, because a lot of times what I hear from some of the people is, oh, Steve, I set this goal last year. Great. How'd you do? I crushed it in three months. So this year I want to dream even bigger. And and it's kind of like stacking up blocks. You know, we, we know, we don't know what we don't know and we learn and take on what we can. Mm -hmm. And you can't pour in this. This is a line from the TV show married with children from the early nineties, late eighties. And it was a quote where the brother bud was tutoring his dim-witted sister. And he said, when you pour a gallon of knowledge into a shot glass of a brain, you're going to spill some. (laughs) So to to take that in a non-insulting way, I just say, look, here's where we all were that year. We learned, we did our boards. I coached you all. We did good. We got this far. So the next year we're going to start there. Mm. We're going to improve upon that. So each year it's like, we're adding a row of blocks to a foundation. Mm-hmm. So there, some of them, and I was on the phone with one of my coaching clients earlier today. She has gone from ranked number 20 in sales in the company. Last year, she was number two. Mm-hmm. Great. In a pandemic. I have no doubt that yeah. she'll be number one <laughs> pretty yeah. soon. In a pandemic. Well, the best part of it is she has such an amazing relationship with the person who is number one. That person has been mentoring her for three years. In addition to the coaching she and I have done together, this other person adores her so much. She is her biggest cheerleader in the company. And she has helped her to rise up and up. And it's, you know, people look at me and say, well, Steve, you coached her. Well, she did the work and she was willing to show up and she asked questions when she stuck. It's, it's, she always says, you did this. I said, no, 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 you, me, us, we, we did this together your drive. And, and they're a company that's based upon in-home parties and expos and conferences. Well, what happened the past two and a half years? Yeah, All that went away. She and I worked together and she built up her confidence to go virtual with her presentations and tripled her business in a year. Mm-hmm. Virtually, she did the work. It's mm-hmm. great. That's I, great. Good, safe way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've saved a ton on dry cleaning by just dressing nicely from the waist up for the past two and a half years. Mm-hmm. I know. I <laughs> never <laughs> have to press your pants. Nope. Nope. But I always wear them. As long as you don't stand up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm always, because people have said that, you know, Steve, come on. Really? Do you? I wear yeah. pants for everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, who is Super Teddy Maximus? Oh, uh, Super Teddy was an adopted, uh, rescued Yorkie Pomeranian. Um, oh, 2009, nice. my wife, Tina and her mom, they were on this newsletter list from some rescue from down South that would fly all the adoptable animals up to new England. And she saw this picture of this little fuzzball standing in the palm of someone's hand and thought yeah. he was adorable. 
and they shelled out about $700 and they adopted him. And uh -oh. according to my mother-in-law, the minute he got home, Steve started pimping him out because he was adorable. <laughs> and um, his name was Teddy. His original name was Maximus at the rescue. So it was Teddy Maximus. And my mother-in-law pimped him out with a wardrobe like I've never seen a dog have before. Well, he had this red <laughs> sweater that looked like a cape. And he used to sleep with his front legs out and his back legs back. And yeah. I said, he looks like Superman. So he became Super Teddy Maximus. And I was writing my own books and doing my own speaking. And I just started to take pictures of him and put quotes with them. And people fell in love with Super Teddy. I mean, he was love in a fur coat. He was the sweetest, nicest, got along with everybody dog I've ever met. And we had him for 11 years until he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, he wrote so his sad. own book. Oh, he good for him. Several fundraising calendars. I used to say. Did he you know, dictate it and you just typed it up for him? He was the eye candy and I did all the work. And that's basically mm -hmm. what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, his book was called uh, Bust Out of Your Crate. Super Teddy's top 20 <laughs> tips for people to be as happy as dogs. I love that. That's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Got to pick that up. Yep. I'll, I'll have to. We, we actually don't have any physical copies left. We're working on re-releasing that now. Yeah. We're, we're converting it for print on demand because we sold every copy we had. And it's funny. Some people said, well, we're going to cut up this book and use them as postcards. And I went, mm, no, we'll just create a series of postcards, which we did. I and, love that. Um, bust out of your crate. Bust out of your crate. And, and a total accident, like everything else, right? If we're aware and plugged in, there's opportunities. Because I was alone one day babysitting Teddy. He was downstairs in his crate and he knew I was upstairs. So he's making all kinds of racket for me to come down and play with him. And I just looked at him. I said, you want to bust out of that crate and have some fun, don't you? And of course, the creative mind says, bust out of your crate. That's a pretty good metaphor. So it like, is. Hang on, buddy. And I ran back upstairs and I wrote it down. And three weeks later, I had two or three ideas for uh -huh. the book. And it was, it was dead in the water. And someone reached out to me because I got a big mouth and said, I'm writing a new book. Oh, How's yeah. that book coming? I said, it's dead. Well, what do you mean? What, what was it going to be? I said, well, I was going to try to create all these things Teddy would say and then find pictures that would match. He goes, how many pictures you have? I go, him? A couple hundred? <laughs> and this friend said, why don't you look at the pictures and just see what message he might be saying, like what it inspires? Uh -huh. In an Good hour advice. and a half, the book was done. 20, yeah. 20 quotes in an hour and a half, and it was done. Oh, I love that. We're both dog people, Kathy and I. Oh, yeah. So. And I just lost my beautiful big puppy. So mm, sorry to hear that. He was a big I, boy. Yeah, I uh, I understand exactly how that feels, and it's it's interesting because the day after we lost Teddy, which is Memorial Day, year and a half ago, the next day, and now Teddy's favorite toy was a little stuffed giraffe with a squeaker in it. Mm -hmm. Now my vision board client who I was speaking with today, her nickname is Giraffrica Jen. Giraffe is her favorite animal. She, and she saved over two years, I coached her, enough to go on a safari in Africa. The uh -huh. day after Teddy died, there was a baby giraffe born at the Virginia Zoo. And it said, hey, we're having a contest to name the baby giraffe. Uh -huh. And I said, we're going to get this giraffe named after Teddy. And you have to uh -huh. submit a name. Then you had to tell everybody about it. The top five boat getting names would go into the finals. 
which was five people standing at the railing of a fence where the giraffe enclosure was, each with a branch from the acacia tree, giraffe's favorite snack. The baby giraffe's father came into the paddock. Whatever branch he touched first was going to be the name of this son. And he uh-huh. went to the first one. And at the last second, he went over and munched on branch number two, which was Teddy. Oh, <laughs> that's fortuitous. That one made the news. I, I got in the news talking about that, how the law of attraction works. You see opportunity, you take the actions. I knew my why. I mean, gosh, come on. I miss my little, my little canine co-author partner in crime. And that's how we got a baby giraffe named after a dog who'd passed away 10 days later. That's oh. a very, very good impact on your life then. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the greatest gift you can give to your future self? Something you write down today that you're grateful for and mm. not in a broad brushed way. You know, Don't be one of those people. And I know people who do this and they mean well. What are you grateful for today? Oh, my job, my, my spouse and my, our house. Great. You see them a month later. What are you grateful for? My job, my spouse, my house, you know, we've gone through this. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. okay, you're missing the energy. So what I've been doing now for over 10 years is putting pen to paper every morning. I write down the date, I write the words, good stuff. And I write one, two, three, and in less than a line each, I describe my three favorite moments from the previous day. And I do it in the morning because it's a great way to tap into the positive emotion. And the weirder, the more unique, the cooler, the funnier, the better. But only less than a line each. So you got to be really emotionally connected. It could be a meal that Tina and I made together. It could be I held the door for someone or someone held the door for me. Yesterday was four years since the passing of my dad. So Tina and I, over the weekend, and she's an amazing couponer in a rewards program everywhere. We were able to get about $200 worth of donations. And we divided them between two homeless shelters, one of whom helps veterans. Yeah. And we were able to make a bunch of donations yesterday. So this morning it was, hey, to honor dad, we went and gave stuff to help the homeless veterans yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now, years from now, I'll see that again and I'll remember exactly where we were. And I will remember that I baked two loaves of pear bread because that's their favorite. I made it a couple of years ago. Now, every time I go, did you bring pear bread? Pear bread? She pear has bread. never had pear bread. Nobody I've never had it has. either. I think I'm the only person making it, but it's yeah. delicious. I so, bet. Those little moments like that, you know, people Uh write off 2020 as the dumpster fire. 2021 was dumpster fire part two. I counted. I wrote down 957 positive moments in my journal in 2021. That's 957 reasons why the year was not as bad as a lot of people say. We started our podcast. We started our podcast in summer of 2020. Yeah. Because we didn't know we could, we found out we could do it on Zoom and talk to people all over the world instead of just having people come into our home in a, yeah. In a booth. Yeah. So and, and we it's did it. Been wonderful. It's been such a growth experience. And I don't know about Kathy because she's always been very self confident in my eyes, but I've gained incredible self confidence from doing this. I love, love, love hearing that because that was one of my issues for i won't even say years uh, i'm just gonna say decades mm-hmm. of my life. we we have talked to so many people while doing the podcast who discovered during the pandemic that they could tell their story that they could write their i mean we just 
the episode that's coming on right now is a gal that survived the killing fields in Cambodia. And she discovered because of the pandemic that she needed to tell her story. Once she was home alone and, and away from people, she realized this had to be told. Yeah. So a lot of people started a business or pivoted a business that would have gone in the toilet if they didn't pivot and they saved it and multiplied it. Absolutely. So yeah. I never let anybody tell me the pandemic was a dumpster fire or anything like that. Nope. Not at all. I, no. I've, I've been able to create so much during the past couple of years and I, and I've had some significant losses, super Teddy, my dad and uh, my digital marketing person who built my previous website, right. his name is Lonnie Robinson, who was a dear, dear brother and a mentor to me. <laughs> and three significant losses, but each person, and I call Super Teddy a person because he was. Of he was course. Little, cute, cute little old man in all those pimped out sweaters. Each one got me so far and so far and so far. The recording studio I'm in right now, I started building at the time my dad was was passing away. It's the first carpentry project in my life. And I was 50 at the time that I ever did without him. But mm -hmm. all the knowledge and the wisdom and all the tools and the boxes of stale Cheez-Its and the old CDs that we all used together for decades, everything was here. Oh. And so all of that, I did not let anyone other than the electrical, because Tina said, you will not burn down this house. I hired the electrician. Mm -hmm. Everything else. Other than sanding the drywall, which my best friend of almost 40 years came and did that for me, mm -hmm. everything else, I would not let anyone in, in this room to help me. It was mm -hmm. just me talking to my dad and working through each thing and realizing how much I'd paid attention over the years and how much he'd actually taught me because the window up behind me was a little bit crooked. It was off by a quarter inch, the frame. And I looked at it and I said, ah, close enough. And the next day I came in and I looked at it and it bothered me. And I heard my dad's voice. You're going to leave it like that, bud. <laughs> and I just looked and I started laughing and I busted out the saw and about 20 minutes later it was fixed. And every time I see it, I smile and I think of my dad because my favorite picture of the two of us is over there on my desk, oh. along with a note that I wrote on one of the two by fours in the walls. Five days after he passed away, I think it was the day of his funeral, I wrote down, hey, bud, thank you for always taking the time to teach me how to use the tools. Love, bud, junior. Oh, we call my each God. Other. We call I'm, each other. I'm starting uh, to cry. This yeah. is just, I know. It's just so moving for me. And yeah. it's such a wonderful way. Every time you come into your recording studio, you get to think of your father because every, yeah. every inch of it yeah. was you and him building yeah. it. We built my first one together in his home at the big crash and burn 20 years ago. I moved into his house and uh, we built my first studio there. So every morning when I sit down, I look at the picture and I just fire up the studio and I go, hey, miss you, bud. And that's how I start my day. And the note I wrote on the two by four, I looked at it and I said, I want to keep that. So I took out the saw, chopped out the two by four, <laughs> planed it down. And now it's very thin, but it's a piece of two by fours right over there on the desk. And I look at it every single day with a great big smile and a ton of appreciation. For I love who that. he was and who he helped me to be. I love that. So what would you say the best life lesson is that you've ever received? That came from observing one of my grandfathers and he never actually said the words. He was a very quiet, humble man. 
He was a carpenter his entire life. But watching him, I got the lesson to just leave as many situations a day better than I find them, even in the simplest ways. Like if he drove past your house after a storm and saw a picket was broken on your fence, he would go home, get his little folding ruler, put his little stubby pencil on his ear, go measure it, go to his workshop, make another one, come back and fix your fence, and you would never even know that Al Dion had been there. Hmm. That's the kind of guy he was. And so that's had an incredible impact on me. And my favorite place to do that is the grocery store. <laughs> because, you know, people say, well, I'll, I'll commit acts of kindness when I have money. I said, oh, you don't know how to play shopping cart rodeo. Are you kidding me? Tell us about shopping cart rodeo. What is rodeo. that? When you see a carriage abandoned somewhere, what do most people do? They start ranting. People are lazy. Why would they do that? And I used to be one of those people many years ago. And then one day I saw one in the, you know, the, the disabled parking, the handicapped parking area. And I asked myself, huh, I wonder how many working legs that person had. Mm. And then I said, we'll never ask that question again. We'll never assume people are lazy. I will just go rescue carriages. And so every time I go to the store, wherever I park, I open the door, I get out. And I spin 360 degrees and I look for a carriage and I'll walk and get it because I'm on a healthy journey, right? More steps, more, more fat burn, feel better. Uh -huh. You might save one that on a windy day would have dented someone's car, right? Okay. You see uh -huh. somebody who's putting the last of their bags in the car and from a safe distance, especially if it's maybe a mom with kids in the car or a senior, excuse me, would you like me to return that for you? Nobody's ever said no. I've had amazing conversations with people, make people laugh. I'll never forget an 80 plus year old woman was about four and a half feet tall and I'm six foot two. Mm. And I said, ma'am, just before I get over there, please take your purse out and put it in the car. I said, see these cameras here. I don't want those cameras catching you, beating me up in the parking lot for stealing your purse. <laughs> she started with a cackle of a laugh that I could still hear 40 feet away. And she was in her car with her windows rolled up and I could still hear her laughing. Hmm. And I was having a very bad day that day. I was not in a good mood, but I was after that. Hmm. So the simplest kindnesses, you think that's you're doing wonderful. them for somebody else. You might be the person who actually gets the most out of it. So mm -hmm. that's what I learned from my grandfather was to just leave situations better than I find them. That's great. And how did dressing up as Keith Richards help you meet an Olympian? Tell us, what is that about? Yeah. Well, up here what? in New Hampshire, we have a thing called the Penguin Plunge, which happens oh. in the month of February at the ocean. And every year it's, it's to raise money for Special Olympics. Uh -huh. And I was at a speaking event uh, in December, uh, ten year, uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. And somebody there said, Steve, you and your family have beach bum philanthropy, your own nonprofit. You like to give back. You ever heard of the penguin plunge? I said, yeah, a bunch of crazy people run into a freezing cold ocean. He goes, yeah, you want to do it? And I said, sure, why not? And about a month <laughs> later, he sent me the details and they said, okay, this year's theme is zombies. So come dressed as your favorite zombie. I said, well, that's easy. Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. Because nobody knows if he's actually dead or alive. I love him. <laughs> oh, we love him too. So yes, we do. Up, it, it was 33 degrees outside. The ocean was 34. Oh. And I showed up in full regalia as Keith Richards with a guitar and everything. And uh -huh. 
we, I had a GoPro Shirtless. camera. Oh no, no. I had a, I had my white tuxedo shirt, but I had like scarves and stuff and I had an earring and my hair was all spiked like Keith's and I had black eyeliner on my wife. Tina did all the makeup. She did an amazing job. Great. And we all ran into the ocean and I had a GoPro camera that Tina had just bought me. And the last thing she told me is you don't come out of the water without that. That cost a lot of money. So I took a shoelace off and tied it to my arm in case I passed out from the shock of the cold. Uh-huh. Ran down, dove in, came back, walked all the way up the beach, could not find Tina in the crowd. She had the car key. She had the towel. She had my warm clothes. I could not find her in the crowd. Oh, it's no. a very popular event. <laughs> very popular. So I'm standing there shivering like crazy. And all of a sudden I hear a woman say, shake hands with the man and say, thank you. And I look down and there's a, a little kid, maybe seven, eight years old with a t-shirt that says, I'm an Olympian. And he's got his hand out and he says, thank you. And I just said, I mean, I'm getting emotional right now thinking about it. And I just shook his hand and I said, Hey buddy, you're going to have fun this year. You're going to run real fast. You're going to have a good time. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And his mom says, okay, well, let's let this man go warm up. And I just realized I wasn't cold anymore. Mm -mm. And it was just the most amazing moment that I got to be a part of it. I didn't do anything. I, I just ran in a cold ocean so that these kids can go be rock stars for one weekend a year. How fun. Yes. You don't Steve. look anything so cool. like Keith Richards though. And Steve, what would you I'll like our you the listeners? Pictures. What would you like our listeners to have as their main takeaway today? See it, be it, do it. And that's as simple as I can put it. See what you Love really it. want in your life. I actually have a coffee mug. I made a mug that said it because people kept saying, oh, what's your mantra? I said, see it, great. be it, do it. That's great. See what you really want. What and, and if you're not sure, think about it when you're in a mirror. And if you got conflicting things, look in the mirror, say each one out loud and feel it. Whichever one makes you smile, start there. Mm-hmm. Be the person you need to be to achieve it and then take action. Consistently build the habits, build mm-hmm. momentum. It's like an old wooden roller coaster. You got to go click, click, click. A lot of people get bored, but you do all those clicks. You get over the top. You scream your brains out celebrating a ride that you couldn't stop if you tried. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Steve. Our guest today, our guest today on Late Boomers has been speaker and coach Steve Gamlin. Visit his website, stevegamlin.com, to learn all about his coaching programs, his speaking topics, his podcast, the Motivational Firewood Radio Show, and his Visualization Board Mastery Program. Thank you again. It's wonderful. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. This was an absolute joy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We want to remind our listeners to follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkinson at Late Boomers. We hope our episodes of Late Boomers inspire you and inform you. Please drop us a line on our website, lateboomers.com biz b-i-z and please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss a minute thanks again steve thank you for joining us on late boomers the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style power and impact Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. 
If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.